0: Welcome in. Kick is live Thursday, March 2nd, the year of our Lord, 2023. We are live high atop, kind of high atop, downtown Indianapolis, Nashville, about four and a half hours to our south. We'll be back there Sunday night. I'm at the Combine. We've got a lot to talk about, a lot that I have not spoken about publicly that, boy, you have asked me about, and that is Jalen Carter. And there's a reason why I haven't said a word. The first is because we have a show we can talk about it on, which we're doing right now. And the second, I'll get into that in just a second. Uh, we got pressure on head coaches. I got a ton from the mailbag that I still have to get into. We've got coaches positioned to win in 2023. I got someone hating on Shane Beamer over here, so I got to step to his defense because I, quite frankly, think he's too nice to do it himself. And so we're going to shoulder that burden for him. All that plus, just want to ask you a question here. As Big Game Dane takes a seat immediately stage left, I want to ask you, what do you think constitutes health for college football? When is the sport healthy? Is it when people you'll never meet are making a lot of money? Or is it when you're happy? We'll talk about all that. They're watching us in Irvine, California, Traverse City, Michigan, Bowie's Creek, North Carolina. They're tuned in everywhere. We really, really appreciate it as always. You know, it's the only time I'll ever be able to do the card toss. So we'll toss the card and we'll get into the show. All right. I have to try and strike a serious tone here. The Jalen Carter news broke yesterday. We're sitting here at the Combine. It's Thursday, and so Jalen Carter, a lot of the defensive linemen, they come through yesterday, and they're going to talk. By the way, if you don't know where I am, I'm where every player comes in here, and they meet with the media, and it's it's just part of the NFL Combine experience. So right before Jalen Carter and a lot of the defensive linemen come in, as you well know or should know by now, the AJC breaks a story that the Fatal accident that happened in Athens post national championship game that claimed two lives, Devin Willock and Chandler LaCroix. He may have been involved in indirectly or directly. There were a lot of kind of, you know, th- there was a lot still unknown about the reporting. So that surfaces. We're asking ourselves, is he going to come in here and talk? He didn't. It turns out he came back here today and met with a lot of NFL teams. In the meantime, Went and turned himself in overnight, uh, two misdemeanor charges, in and out in like 15 minutes. And so I didn't say anything yesterday, and a lot of you wanted me to, and there are two reasons I didn't, uh, kind of three reasons. The first is we've got a show, and we got a multiple nights a week, so you know where to find me if and when something happens, and you want to know what I think about something. The second of those three reasons is we always take a 24-hour rule on this show Anytime things of a serious nature like this start to break. And so what that 24-hour rule looks like is this. You see the news break, and then you look around, and I know we're going to get beaten on it. I know that we're going to be one of the last to react, but I have made a decision very consciously. We're comfortable with that because, as you well know, stuff changes so much in the first 24 hours of one of these stories. You get a lot of allegedly. You got a lot of reportedly. You get a, a counterstatement from the player himself, as we did with Jalen Carter. So now we're outside of the 24-hour window. Let me tell you the third reason I didn't speak up. It's the same reason that I was telling our guys here on set as soon as the news broke. And that is, this is going to feel really gross. I'm really glad they didn't bring him in here. Because what would have happened is, the nature of the event we're at right now, the nature of the entire reason everyone's in Indianapolis would have been handled poorly. It would have been discussed pretty flippantly. There would have been jokes publicly, which there were anyway yesterday. And I'm sitting there thinking all the while... People are about to talk about an incident that claimed two lives, and they're going to talk about it in terms of what it's going to do to a guy's draft stock and what it means about what Todd McShay said about him on ESPN several months ago. I didn't want to really traffic in either of those things, partly out of respect and then also partly out of what the 24-hour rule constitutes. But I'm perfectly willing to talk about it now because a lot of you came at me and you said, boy, I bet you feel stupid now, don't you? Boy, when Todd McShay said there were character concerns Around this guy, you spoke up and you said, "Well, I said a lot of things. I actually went back and watched the full segment today just to make sure I knew what I said. Because trust me, sometimes even I forget." You said Todd McShay wasn't being fair towards Jalen Carter. So what do you have to say about that now? Because because it looks like Todd McShay knew what he was talking about. Well, I got a question for you. I'm try not to be sarcastic. I mean, does everyone own a calendar? Because I will start on the back end. And tell you readily what we're looking at on the screen, or if you're listening on podcasts, the details and the allegations towards Jalen Carter and his potential involvement, street racing and all that, that's not good. If you want to go as far as to call it a character concern, we may define it differently. What have you? It's a very bad thing. Very bad thing. I just happen to believe there could be two truths in the room right now. And the first is uh, Jalen Carter could be involved in some, some bad situations there. And also, everything, and I mean it when I say every, every sentiment that I expressed when Todd McShay initially made those comments back in, I think, November or December, I stand behind. And because I went back and revisited that today, let me remind you, if you're unfamiliar with what Todd McShay said about Jalen Carter, he said there are character issues with him. This is before this incident happened, okay? So anything we're talking about before the incident happened has nothing to do with knowledge of the incident. Let's maintain that and let's continue. He said there are character concerns. He asked about the character concerns. For example, does he get along with everyone? What's he like in the locker room? He said, there are going to be things he's going to be a hot button issue as the draft gets closer. I'm just preparing you for that. Those were the words paraphrasing, of course. But that was the sentiment expressed by Todd McShay. So my thoughts were I it pissed me off and it pissed me off a little bit because I never like that far out from the draft. A guy's character being questioned. If you're not going to go any further then just say, oh, he's got character concerns, tells me nothing. And my own personal philosophy on it has been, if you're going to question someone's character publicly, especially when they stand to lose a lot, and a guy whose entire financial future and professional future is at stake stands to lose a lot, when you comment on him, there better be a certain line in the sand you're willing to cross when it comes to sharing information. Now, you may look at me and say, Josh, I can't burn my sources. I can't share certain details. That's okay. Just keep your mouth shut at the time. We do it all the time on this show. There are things there are things we have knowledge of all the time. We keep our mouth shut on because if I just told you what the issue may be with someone, but I gave you no context, it'd be irresponsible. I thought it was irresponsible when he said it on air. I still feel that way today. And this is after that news came out yesterday. So the two truths, I think, are evident here right now until other information emerges. If it does, in which case I'd be fully willing to revisit everything I'm saying right now is Jalen Carter could be in a serious situation right now, regardless of whether he suffers any more punitively, two people lost their lives. And those people, I thought, were going to get put on the back burner yesterday, so I didn't say anything about it yesterday. But if you, if you thought that those details changed my mind about something far more overarching than just Jalen Carter or just Todd McShay, th- Todd McShay just happened to be the guy who said this about this particular guy. This is not a Todd McShay thing or a Todd McShay. It's just a thing in general. Uh, The same thing ought to be said to me. If I went on this show, which has a national platform, which means you you shoulder a little more responsibility, or you should at least, and I were to say, you know, this kid who plays linebacker at Oregon, he's got character concerns. Now that's all I'm going to say. He's got character concerns. Well, that's irresponsible. And it's kind of a weaponization of a platform, I think, in all the wrong ways. Uh, I will say this, though. What I know about Jalen Carter, I don't claim to be close to him. I don't claim to have grown up with him. I've been around him, as I've covered Georgia, because if you're on the national side of things, you can't help but cover Georgia. Everything I've heard about him is positive until about two days ago. And when I say positive, I mean that uh, if he didn't wipe his shoes off when he came in your house, I don't consider that a character concern. If you've had family issues in the past, I don't consider other character concern because I I live in the real world and I know that everyone to some shape, form, or fashion or degree is a little bit broken. So I guess my my standard for what I call a character concern may be a little different than what everyone else does. But I've known nothing but good things about Jalen Carter. So my take on this has been until I know more, using the 24-hour window, until I know more, I look at him. The same way I look at other good people or people who I think are good who have made bad decisions. Uh, Good people make bad choices all the time. Bad people rarely make good choices, but good people make bad choices all the time. Uh, I'm not here to run PR for him. I I think it was piss-poor decision-making. If what he's accused of doing, he did. I do want to responsibly remind you He made a statement today where he said, I don't think I will suffer any. I think I'll be fully exonerated, want the truth to come out. So my point is, there's a lot of skill in saying, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I do know that regardless of how it turns out, everything said before that moment in time cannot include, by definition, that moment in time. And the other thing, I was talking to a buddy about this, kind of telling him what I was going to say on air, he said, well, it's true that. No one could have known he was going to be involved in a fatal accident before it happened. But could that fatal accident not be further evidence that what they said in a general sense is true? They say he's got character issues. Then after that, he does something. that logic is sound, except that you already made the statement before it happened. And therefore... By the very default of what the calendar says, there had to be something else that went into you making that statement. And if all you got for me is, does he get along with everyone? What's he like in the locker room? You know, Tom McShay didn't say anything about something that's going to happen in the future. He said something about what already was. I uh, don't think that there was nearly a burden that should be met to say such things on air. So that's where my mind was on that. We had a question about the health of college football that I wanted to get to. It's a really good one. It's something we've talked about a lot on Late Kick. I'm just going to hit it from a little bit different angle here, immunity. And I also appreciate you guys being tuned in live. I have to, as, as some of you have pointed out in the live chat, I have to move these really, really fancy talent cards. I feel like Bob Barker. Miranda loaded me up with like 100 of these things. They're great. So I uh, appreciate you guys watching live. So here's what I want to do. I want to take a look at the question that was asked earlier today in the Late Kick mailbox And then I want to react to it. So the health of college football. One of you asked about the health of the sport. What constitutes the health of the sport? How do you know college football is healthy? And you know what? I want to throw it right back at you. I'll answer. I'll give you my take. But the health of college football, I don't think we've ever heard that phrase used more lately than we have during conference realignment, uh, college football playoff expansion talk. Inevitably, everyone, myself included, everyone thinks their opinion is what's best for college football. Everyone thinks their opinion constitutes, oh, by the way, it's what's healthiest for the sport. Now, obvious someone's right and someone's wrong if there is a true definition of what health for college football is. I want to know what you think it is. Because as you guys well know, some of us disagree, especially on this sort of thing. My take's always been this. I've, I've long told you one of the funniest things in the world to me is someone who comes in our comment section, I respect your opinion, I just think it's a little funny when someone comes in our comment section and you brag about TV ratings. You brag about how much a conference is making. Because none of that concerns you. If you're fascinated by it, okay. But it seems like the fascination in television ratings ramped up like 500-fold recently. And conference revenue. I mean, can you honestly tell me you knew in 1998 How much the Big Ten Conference was making per year in media rights? Of course not. And you didn't care, and you would have rightly said, this has nothing to do with me. I work in Rockford, Illinois. I don't work for the Big Ten Conference, so I'm just going to watch Indiana play on Saturdays. Well, now all of a sudden everyone cares about it, or at least some people claim they care about it. So my question to you is, what is the health of college football? Is it as simple as, oh, the SEC is making more money than they ever have. That means college football is healthy. Oh, the Big Ten's making more money than they ever have. That means college football's healthy. Oh, networks are dishing out more money than they ever have to purchase the rights to broadcasting these games. Does that mean college football's more healthy? I say not necessarily. Could mean that that's the case. Or you could simply have correlation that things that constitute health are going on, and it just so happens folks are making a lot of money. But I want to ask you this. Where does the fan fit into this equation? Or more directly, where do you fit in this equation? Does anyone ever stop to ask that? I'm asking you to be selfish, by the way. Be selfish for a second. If you're sitting at home tonight, and you're in Raleigh, North Carolina, and you just kind of leaned back, perhaps you're a front porch type, you're on the rocking chair, it is winter, but you do you, and you're thinking to yourself, wait, I haven't thought selfishly about this in a long time. I'm going to suggest a radical concept to you. Maybe health of college football is just when you're the happiest. Pause for effect. Pause for the gasps. What really is there to it other than the happiness of fans? Now, you could tell me, Josh, well, I'll tell you what more there is to it. What about players being happy? What about players being empowered and uplifted? I'm with you. You know that if you've watched this show for any length of time. I'm completely with you on that. But I'd put the fans even before the players. I'm not saying put the fans before the players to the detriment of the players. I'm saying. I think you know as well as I do, in this NIL era, in the era of player empowerment, in the era of being able to profit off your image and likeness, there's a reason your image and likeness is worth so much. And that's because those stadiums that seat 100,000 are seating 100,000. There's a reason those those media entities are willing to shell out what they're willing to shell out to broadcast those games. It's because there's a massive audience out there. That audience gives everyone the platform that audience gives us the platform to even do this show. So I would argue, when we were talking about the health of late kick, you being happy is what's most important for the health of our show. Likewise in college football, you being happy, us as fans being happy, that's what's most important for the health of college football. And yet, I hear people window dress sometimes. I hear some of the suits window dress sometimes, and they claim, well, we're doing this for the betterment of the fans. When is the last time... You saw a corporate type. When's the last time you saw a mustache voluntarily cut into a profit margin for the betterment of fan experience and happiness? Let me save you some time. The answer is you've never seen it happen. Now, if they can make a move that fattens the wallet a little bit and you're happy with it, that's a bonus and they will parlay that. Trust me, in a PR marketing effort, they will parlay that. But by and large, anything that grows certain interests financially is fed to you as. Well, college football is healthier now. I've never bought that. Never bought that. So the question was, well, is college football healthier? I'm telling you right now, I know a lot more money is going to be made by a few people because the University of Southern California is about to be a Big Ten team. I don't think it's what's best for the sport. I've been on record as saying that for a while. I will be interested, just like you will, to see Ohio State go to the Coliseum. Yeah, I understand the spectacle of that. I would also argue you could have done it in out-of-conference play. But I don't think that the tearing down of geography and the regionality and territoriality that constituted college football and, dare I say, greatness of college football once upon a time. I don't think that the tearing down of that to just make way for another zero on the p l sheet is necessarily what's healthiest for college football just because it made someone who works on the 96th floor of a building in a city you've probably never visited happy. I think happiness amongst us is a lot more important. I know that's a very, very fern-gully, idealistic view of the world. But this is kind of our world. You know, we get to do things in the world of college football. We get to think things in the world of college football fandom that sometimes it's not all right to think outside of this world. That's why we call it entertainment. That's why we love it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to say for it? I got to tell you something, because Miranda does not have the camera trained on it. But there is there is a young man from the great state of Michigan, named Big Game Day, <laughs> and while, he's about to get a lawsuit filed against him. I have I have tossed these cards off to the side as as I'm done, and he has dutifully picked them up so no one has to do it later, if no one else tells you, Dan. <laughs> You're a better person than anyone else out here. Um, Academy Sports and Outdoors did not pay me to say that. And they did not pay me to lead into their ad read with that. So let me just hard transition. Uh, This stage is bigger than the house I grew up in. And Academy Sports and Outdoors allows us to come on the road and do all this. We really, really appreciate it. And... I happen to know, well, there's bad weather going on all over the country today, but you know that that's leading us into spring, and you know that a lot of recreational activity is about to happen outdoors, and I want you guys to be geared up. You don't have to cut corners. You can respect the show and the partner on this show that makes it free for all of you, and you can also gear up in the best of ways. Academy Sports and Outdoors is your one-stop shop for all that. And if you can't get there in person, we all have Internet. Academy.com. Hey, Dane, this card didn't quite make it off camera, by the way. So, so, so if you, so if you could just get on that, I'd appreciate it. Academy Sports and Outdoors and Dane, in their own unique ways, bringing the show to you. We appreciate it so much. All right. How do, how do we transition to talking about Shane Beamer? I don't know. I just know we're clipping all this for later. Have a great crew. Have a, that's the way to do a great show. Have a great crew. Okay. So we had a guy hating on Shane Beamer earlier, and I thought, you know what? It's early March. We're going into spring practice. Why not address this? Do we actually have the question, by the way, that was presented about Shane Beamer? I don't know if we had it. I, I saw it on Twitter earlier. I sent it to Jesse. I think he was as outraged as I was. But someone called Shane Beamer a clown. Someone asked, basically, why are people so in love with Shane Beamer? And why do people, why do people cover the guy so much? You know, he wanted to know personally on our show— why are you so up on Shane Beamer? Well, I'll tell you that the guy's won more games than anyone expected him to two years in a row. He's only been there two years, so that's the simple answer. But I'm not really in the business of doing a 45-second segment. So outside of that, people questioned his antics, whatever in the world that means. People question his demeanor. People don't like the rah-rah mentality. So here's what I would say. Shane Beamer's probably, I don't know. Actually, Beamer probably would respond, but I'll respond for him. So you can sit this one out, Shane. How would you like him to act? You're the head coach of South Carolina, a program that's, that's been in the ditch for a little while, a program that had fallen not just behind, but far behind in their own state, a program that also resides in the same division as the two-time defending national champion. You've got to jumpstart your program. The, the, entire, the entire ethos, the entire methodology that I guess judging by the comment you're wanting Shane Beamer to have, is what got the last guy fired. So there is no motivation to come in and do it the same way it had been being done. Uh, that's how you end up in the unemployment line. That's how you end up making 35 a year for someone because you're living the buyout life. And while the buyout life is nice, that is not professionally what you aspire to live. So I look at Shane Beamer, and I look, he doesn't rub me the wrong way, even if he did rub me the wrong way. I'd say, man, I can't stand that guy. Good for him, though. I'd follow it up with a good for him. Now, for those of you who he does rub the wrong way, if it's a personal thing, it's a personal thing. If you're a Clemson fan, I do not expect you to like the guy. But if you're an agnostic fan, if you're just a Colorado State fan, and welcome in viewers from Fort Collins tonight, but if you're a Colorado State fan, and I'm not sure the rooting interest of the person who submitted the question, but if you're just out there somewhere, and you don't like the way Shane Beamer goes about it, What do you want him to do? Do you want him to fake it? It's clearly his authentic self. Do you want him to fake it? Also, clearly the way he's doing it has worked the first two years. There's no guarantee what the future holds. But I think if we really got down to it, a lot of what rubs Shane Beamer the wrong way is, you probably doubted him when he got the job, and he's probably proven you wrong so far, and he may have made you look a little foolish, and you don't like this. None of us like looking like fools. But some of us fail to look in the mirror when we make an incorrect prediction. Here's how it looks: Shane Beamer's going to fail. Shane Beamer succeeds. I hate that guy. He's a clown. That's how it looks a lot of times. Here's how it should look: Shane Beamer's going to fail. Shane Beamer succeeds. Shame on me for doubting that guy. I'm the idiot. That's how it should look. We're at the NFL Combine right now. For example, there's going to be a lot of made. There's going to be a lot made, as is usually the case, of guys running in their underwear across the street at Lucas Oil Stadium. And guys are going to get overhyped in some cases. And then they're not going to live up to the hype that people who work in the media sphere build for them. And guess what those players are going to be called? They're going to be called busts. No one in our profession is going to say, I'm the idiot who hyped him up. We will just blindly accept that the market rate for where he should go in the draft is where he should go in the draft. And then when he doesn't fulfill on those expectations, he's a bust. Something was wrong with him. Couldn't be something wrong with me. Same thing with coaches. When you predict one not to pan out, sometimes you just default to, well, I don't like him. He's either cheating, which every winning coach uh, until the end of time will do. That'll always be the accusation. Or, he's a clown. Oh, Ethically, he's cutting corners. It couldn't just be, I was wrong about the guy. Some of you were wrong about Shane Beamer. And you don't want to admit it. And I'm just here to tell you, as someone who has been wrong before, and I bet if we do this show long enough, I'll be wrong about something again. Sometimes you just, you got to bite the bullet. You got to admit when you were wrong. Remember, I'm the guy who said Texas A&M had a disaster-proof roster coming into 2022. Texas A&M sat at home in bowl season because of how disastrous the team was, regardless of how talented the roster was. It's okay, guys. To err is human. And so to have, to have doubted Shane Beamer, in some cases, is human. Um, it's okay. You don't have to call the guy a clown. Just because he doesn't carry himself in the stoic fashion that every coach in the 1930s carried himself doesn't necessarily mean he's a clown. Here's the way you know you've got the right approach. Does it resonate with your locker room? Chain Beamer's approach resonates with the locker room. You don't really hear a whole lot out of South Carolina of, uh, doesn't strike the right tone with guys. It just falls on deaf ears. They may not win every game. They won't this year. At least, I wouldn't think they would. There I go doubting him. Uh, but that made the guy clown. So, um, and, and furthermore, the question to reiterate was, why do you talk about him so much? Number one, we got a lot of South Carolina fans who watch the show. Number two, our data indicates that there are people who are not Carolina fans or Clemson fans who kind of have an interest in Shane Beamer. So the way he's acting in some shape, form, or fashion has elicited a reaction or an emotion in enough people to where. I'll talk about it, especially if you ask me the question. That just just gives me a free lead-in to discuss it. Uh, Speaking of coaches, you guys wanted to talk about coaches a lot today. So we'll talk about it. We had another question in the Late Kick inbox, and that was the old standby, the old go-to this time of year, and that is, which coaches are under the most pressure in 2023? Now, in our world, we define pressure two different ways. What a unique way to hold this pen, by the way. I'm just holding it up so I can freeze frame it later. Um, You got competitive pressure, and you got job security pressure. Now, I've got a name written down on this list that has a very large buyout that I think is still under job security pressure, and that would be Jimbo Fisher. There's another name on here like Ryan Day, who I do not think is under job security pressure, but I still think is feeling immense amounts of pressure this year. It's just competitive pressure. So let's talk about him. So Jimbo... Jimbo Fisher, I am going to probably end up making myself sort of a hot-button opinion maker on over the summer because I'm teetering dangerously close to to making another irresponsible prediction about Texas A&M this year. So I've got time. We're only in March right now. There's still time for you to talk me off of this ledge. But I happen to think that he did make the right moves, especially in hiring Bobby Petrino. Not a miracle worker. They don't need a miracle. I just think that for how ignorant it was for me to say they had a disaster proof roster, they they are really talented. They're really good. And so when you're really good, when you've got the right ingredients, I always use the kitchen metaphor. When you got the right ingredients and the meal tastes terrible, it just means your recipe was bad. It doesn't mean you lack the ingredients. It's another thing if you just if you have Vienna sausages and napkins and that's all you got in the kitchen. There's not really much you can do with Vienna sausages and napkins. And trust me, I tried. There's not much you can do. Uh, That's not their problem. They don't lack for the ingredients there. So with Jimbo Fisher, I'm saying all that to basically entrap him into saying they got to get it done this year. And I don't know what it means. I just I I don't even think resurrecting things to eight wins works for them. Now, there will be a lot of time to talk about that. We'll have SEC media days talk about it. So we'll we'll round into the form of getting a set number. How many games? Does Jimbo Fisher have to win? Or is it one of those things where there are certain benchmarks he has to hit, beating Alabama or something like that? But the other part of this is I don't have a problem with the high expectation out there. If, it'd be one thing if you had high expectation, but then when I turn on your games, that place is half full. Or when it's time to raise money, when it's time to work that collective, it, it's bone dry. That's not the case at Texas A&M. And so as long as that's how you roll on the front end, as long as you do what they ask you to do, I don't have any problem with you having sky-high expectations for your head coach. And, listen, winning nine games is, is not the highest ask for a guy who's been given everything. There's really not a no for Jimbo Fisher. I will say this, though. It's easy to sit here in March and say, boy, he's got to win. He's got to win. He's got to win. It's another thing when you have to pay that large a buyout in the 80000000 dollar range. It's another thing to actually pull that trigger. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, Ryan Day, not job security pressure. I think it's very fair to call that competitive pressure. Listen, I think we're already there. So this past year, when we went into the Michigan game, I said it then. I said, this is the most important game of his career because of how uncomfortable, how radically uncomfortable it was about to get afterwards if he lost. Well, he lost. I don't think I've ever told this story. So Gelby and I are standing right out on the field after the game. Stadium is emptied. There were Ohio State players who had come back out of the locker room after the stadium had emptied, and they were right behind our camera. So we're having – Dennis Dodd and I are having to do post-game live reaction on CBS Sports HQ, and just in the background, there are Ohio State players with their heads just buried in their hands, been bawling their eyes out for like 20 minutes. They knew, because that's how big that game is, but also that coaching staff knew because they they fully expected that they had rectified the situation. Everything that went wrong in the snow in Ann Arbor a year prior, they had rectified the situation. Uh, truthfully, I thought they had too. And my belief stemmed from how confident I knew they were internally. And it happened again. And the thing about it is, if you're worried about your team and then they get drug, that's one thing. But I don't really think people can fully appreciate it how much a shock to the senses it is, how much a bucket of cold water it is over your program's head when you're just totally convinced that you've put your team in the best position to win, you're totally convinced you're the better team, you've recruited better athletes, and everything is sky-high confidence-wise, and you just get hit in the mouth with a baseball bat. It is, it is so demoralizing. And then they make the playoff, think they played their best football, still lost to Georgia, but that's almost an afterthought. It's the Michigan game that people go back to. It's the Michigan game I go to because that's what we got to talk about again this year. Everything about Ohio State's 2023, will, it, it, it'll revolve around what they do at the end of the season. That's normally the way it is for the Buckeyes. But with Ryan Day, you could ask me, what happens if they lose a third game in a row to Michigan? Well, my answer is they lost a third game in a row to Michigan. That's what will have happened. If they win their other games, he's not getting fired. You can talk about that all you want to. They're not firing a guy going 11-1. and one. They're just not. Or if if they do, we have entered into a total bizarro world. So that is not job security pressure, but it's competitive pressure. Because if you drop a third straight, if once again you're not winning the Big Ten Championship because you're not even playing for a Big Ten Championship, at that point, you may start doubting yourself internally. And I would hope you're not already at that point. I'm not just talking about Ryan Day. He's the face of the program. I'm talking about the entire internal structure of the program. You've done it as hard as you can three years in a row. You will have lost to a team that you fully believe you outman. You fully believe you got a better staff. uh, You fully believe you put your guys in better position, and you hadn't gotten it done. That's called competitive pressure. No one needs to tell you your jobs on the line to feel that kind of pressure. What about Texas in year three under Sark? I was talking to someone earlier today about Mike Norvell. You've heard me make this comparison a lot, and I'll continue to do it because. We got several months until fall camp opens this time last year. We were going into spring and people were talking hot seat with Mike Norvell. Remember that Florida state talking about hot seat. No one wants to admit it now, but a lot of people trafficked in that credit to Florida state. They gave him time and it turns out it was going to take three years for Mike Norvell to get things right. And lo and behold, third year happened. He got it right. And now Florida State's off to the races. They're like a co-favorite to win the ACC this year. They are a co-favorite out of that conference to have the highest odds to win the national championship. Where'd that come from? It came from patience. It came from giving a guy time. The reason I'm mentioning Norvell is because year one and year two were not good. Year one and year two for Sark have not been all that great. Now we enter year three. This is the moneymaker year. Literally, figuratively, I think there's legitimate, I think you could legitimately circle Sark as having job security pressure. We don't really do that on this show much, but I'm I'm saying you could do that. But with Sark, he, he cannot complain about his quarterback situation. He can't complain about recruiting. And I'm saying this complimentary. They have acquired the talent they needed. I think one of the biggest misnomers is he inherited a loaded cupboard. He did not. He inherited guys who had some stars next to them in high school. A lot of them were at the wrong position, and by that I mean he did not have line of scrimmage talent, and so they've gone about rectifying that year three now. This is when it should happen. This is when you should look at Texas the same way in, what, 12 months, that we're talking about FSU right now. That's pressure. That's the kind of pressure that's on Sark this year. And Neil Brown at West Virginia is the other one I just kind of tacked onto the list. There's there's a lot of surprise in the college football industry that Neil Brown still has his job at West Virginia. I, re- I remind you again i don't really enjoy doing a show about hot seat talk we rarely do it i think we do it like two or three times a year and that's just because they tell me it clicks sometimes even we have to be beholden to that but i'm not done yet oh thank you does it does it right oh uh, yes it does thank you sir neil brown still got his job at west virginia and they, they got a new athletic director up there, a guy that I think came in probably a little bit too late to make some moves. If we're just being candid about things, probably came in a little bit too late to make some moves. Uh, yet, he got a reprieve. Doesn't matter why he got a reprieve, he got a reprieve. They have been rough. They've been pretty bad. And last year, uh, if I were to circle a super sleeper team, I probably would have circled West Virginia. Uh, I didn't, and it's a good thing because it, it was a loss to Pitt early in the year, competitive but a loss to Pitt and it was all downhill after that. So Neil Brown, he could have led this list. I just wanted to go a different direction, but Neil Brown's probably a guy that in that hot seat conversation would be at the top of it. Here's what's interesting though. If you, if you love the hot seat stuff this time last year, there were a lot of them. This time, two years ago, the list was a mile long. I don't know that the list is nearly as obviously long. Now, granted, Paul Crist would not have been on my hot seat list this time last year. And the guy lost his job before the season was even over. So this is college football, crazy things happen. I mean, like, yeah, we, we expected Nebraska may make a change, but a lot of things are very, very unpredictable in this sport. That's why we, um, that's why we have to do a show so often. On the total flip side of that, are coaches that could be winners in their first year. Now this time last year, this was the most fun segment to do. Colin, here's your end point for later. Coaches that have the best opportunity. Which coaches have the best opportunity to just, boom, just click right away? And I'm looking at several of them, but I want to remind you this time last year, do you remember how many head coaches we had in new spots? Uh, Sonny Dykes ended up being the guy out of all the first-year coaches that took his team to the playoff, took his team to the national championship. He wouldn't have even been in the top five of the candidates that I thought may be capable of doing that. You had Dan Lanning going to Oregon, for example, uh, you, you had so many. We had a list like a mile long on the show. And uh, Lincoln Riley, for example, going to USC. So we were we were thinking during the bold prediction segment, one of these guys is going to the playoff, right? And we were right. It just wasn't the names that we circled. So the first year head coaches this year that could just immediately turn the program around. Now I want you to remember, as I give you these names right quick, turning the program around, having more wins, that's exactly what it means. If you won three games last year, and you're going to up it by a couple of wins. You don't even have to make a bowl game for you to be constituted as an immediate winner. Matt Rule is an obvious first choice for me here. You see, Rule, if you go back and you look at his first years at places like Temple or Baylor, they were bad. I mean, they had to, they had to take like five steps backward before they could go forward, and that's just putting in a culture. That's, that's overturning a program that's in bad need of turnover. I'm not so sure that that's going to be necessary with Nebraska. Certainly you have to have the culture churn, but I don't think they have to sacrifice 2023 to achieve that only because we're in a different era now. And if you look at their, they're loaded in terms of the class they just signed in recruiting, meaning there are a lot of kids in it and they had the number 23 ranked recruiting class, but they had the number 17 portal class too. And I think they had 11 transfers as of today in that portal class. And so Jeff Sims is one of those guys, the quarterback that was out of Georgia Tech, who I I don't know why, but I've just become irrationally fascinated with. I think he's going to end up being their starter, and he's a guy that Matt Rules talked up a lot. So I look at them the same way I did last year. There, There are a lot of winnable games on that schedule, a lot of losable games on that schedule. It turns out the latter ended up being validated this time last year, but Matt Rule is one. Luke Fickle is one. These guys are going to be compared A to B, B to A, because they, in similar circumstances, went to the same conference. But Fickle at Wisconsin, insanely good coach. And development was the name of the game. It's no accident. You look this time last year, they sent nine guys to the NFL draft, which was third most in all of college football. Development and placement, though, those are the two words I'm really focused on with Wisconsin this year. The development part is self-explanatory, but placement. He's bringing in Phil Longo as his offensive coordinator. And immediately right out of the gate, you don't look at Wisconsin and say, yeah, man, they, they've recruited several years to throw the ball all over the place. No, they haven't. Now, they brought in several receivers out of the portal, but Phil Longo's even been on record heading into spring and saying, yeah, I'd have to be an idiot not to run the ball with the amount of running back talent that they have here. And Wisconsin's recruited a certain way for like a million years. So right off the bat, maybe we don't see what the full Phil Longo offense will look like, Uh, but they brought in Tanner Mordecai, the quarterback out of the portal to go along with, I think like three or four receivers out of the portal. So don't think that it's three yards in a cloud of dust, even immediately up there. And more importantly, they were bad enough where they fired Chris mid season. Like I said, last year, so It doesn't take winning 11 games for Luke Fickle to rightly be on this list. Now, Hugh Freeze is one that's going to be a little more controversial, but I'm going to put him on there because, yet again, the team he just took over missed a bowl game last year. And also, there's a lot around Auburn that just needs a spark. Like Auburn is not a poverty program. Auburn does not lack for talent. It's not a top-five roster. It's not a top-ten roster. But it's not like a a bottom-25 roster either. And there's a lot of unrealized potential, untapped potential there. I'm talking about both sides of the ball and specifically offense with Auburn. When a guy like Hugh Freeze comes in, I just flat out think he's someone who could pull something out of a quarterback like Robbie Ashford that the previous staff didn't, couldn't, whatever you want to say. And I also feel that way about some of the other pieces they have there. And Auburn's a team I'll be especially interested in watching in the portal post-spring. That's the last chance you have to cosmetically overhaul that roster, I think they could be a player there. And I look, I just think they're going to be a better than 500 team. Auburn is better than that. Auburn is better than what you saw from them last year. Just the overall talent roster is better than that. There's a standard, there's a number, there's a line, much like a and They shouldn't fall below, and they fell below it last year. I'm talking about regardless of who the coach is. And lastly, let me, let me ask you if you've ever heard this guy's name, Deion Sanders. There's always a thought one way or the other, when I mention his name on the show, well, Dion's going to be a winner in year one, and by that I mean he's going to win more than one game, and that's that's all it takes and that's because they went one and eleven last year, so yeah you you give me the over if the over under's one and a half on uh, Colorado someone call up Alan Bell, I'll take that over if they win three games this year, marked improvement that's on the field stuff though, I think more so than any other guy I just mentioned. Deion Sanders has already started winning because the playbook to win at Colorado is not the playbook to win at Georgia. At Georgia, that branding and that institutionalized knowledge and pageantry and tradition that we all know about that program makes it so Kirby Smart doesn't really have to sell his program to the masses. Deion Sanders does. No one knows about Colorado, and if they do, they don't think good things about Colorado. That's not his fault. It's his job to fix, and he's already gone about doing that. Now, he has a unique angle. He has, by way of what his name is, a unique advantage over other folks, and being able to do that, that's part of the reason they hired him. Everyone else had the opportunity to as well, so you can't complain when he's using the resources at his disposal. Uh, But the other thing is, you know they've already sold over 30,000 tickets to the spring game (laughs) out there, Uh, which is more than they've probably had there the past two decades combined at the spring game. Now, you may think to yourself, oh, that doesn't matter. Well, no, it doesn't as to what the record's going to be, but... When you think about the battle that they're having to fight at Colorado, it certainly matters. matters a whole lot. And so Deion Sanders, yes, I think he'll win more games on the field this fall than they did last year. But even more so than that, man, he's not going to lose. Long term, he's not going to lose. For some reason, I read the comments, uh, there, there are some folks that pull against him. Now, granted, if you are pulling against him because you are tired of the hype that he gets, I get it. I would suggest you pull against people maybe like me who, who are hyping him because it's really not on him. But Deion Sanders is a very interesting personality. I think if you did a show, you would talk about him a lot as well. Deion, Hugh Freeze, Luke Fickle, Matt Rule, I like all those guys to be winners in year one. I appreciate you guys joining us so much. It wasn't that long ago. I forget which city it was in, but it was when I, it was, when I was still in Columbus. And it was the Santa Clara National Championship game. I'll tell you exactly where it was. What a godforsaken city to hold a title game in. So anyway, we go out there. And I take the iJosh, not a 14, didn't have the iJosh 14 at the time. I was working at a local news affiliate. There was zero dollars and zero cents in the budget. Had to pay my own way. I just want you to feel sorry for me. And we had that phone propped up against a hotel room ice bucket to do the live broadcast. And from that point... We have arrived here, where we have a crew of seemingly thousands, and it's top-notch in every direction. Yeah, see that? Look at that. You just kind of snap your fingers. There's Miranda. Wave, Miranda. Hi, Miranda. And there's Gelby, for good measure, over there. Uh, it's a blessing to be able to do this, and it's because of you that we get to do this. It's never lost on me. In fact, I would encourage you guys, if you want a little backstory go listen to the Tuesday episode of the Late Kick Extra pod because there was a little behind the scenes. Some stuff I haven't shared with you before. There's a lot of college football on it, but that's a QA and a and sometimes people ask off the field related topics. So anyway, it's always just a double salute to you guys for making this possible. We will be back in Nashville. Same time as always, live Sunday night. Until then, take care. Have a great start to your weekend and God bless